Good morning. My name is Nick. Thank you. <laughs> um, I'm going to be sharing with you the message this morning because Josh and Amanda are in Italy um, enjoying their five-year anniversary trip and trying to decide if they actually want to come back or not. So um, I think we're the reason that they'll come back, not their kids, you know, us. Um, anyone October fan here? Love October, the fall, big Halloween fans? Anyone? Baseball, I guess, sure. <laughs> no one seemed excited to <laughs> get um, Well, you know, this month I had the opportunity to kick off our series. We got a new series called Loving Your Neighbor, and I'm excited to do it. I'm excited also for Trunk or Treat coming up at the end of the month. Uh, I'm especially excited this year, not just because it was so much fun last year, but for the first time in my life, I have a costume, a real costume. I don't know about you guys, if, if you were allowed to trick-or-treat or not. I know Sarah actually wasn't allowed to trick-or-treat, so maybe there's some of you in here that can relate to that. For me, it was just that my mom uh, had to be frugal, and she just, every year, we, she would go around the house, try and find whatever she could, and put together a costume. So most years, I was just like a Red Sox player, because that's what we had. <laughs> um, and then there were a couple of years, though, that she got pretty creative, so one year, I was the armor of God. Like, I don't know if you guys remember those, like, plastic armor of God toy sets, if any of you remember that. But, um, you know, I rocked that breastplate and, and that belt of truth and that, you know, shield. Then there was another year where she commissioned my grandmother to knit me a colorful vest. Okay, anyone have any idea what that was? Joseph in the coat of many colors, in case you were wondering. I was Joseph in the coat of many colors, so there I was a little boy, like, going house to house to our neighbors, like, I'm Joseph in the coat of many colors, because she wanted to torture me. <laughs> um, but, you know, I'm excited this year. Sarah went ahead and bought me a T-Rex blow-up costume, so I don't know how much help I'm going to be, but I'll be in my blow-up costume, like, scaring children probably, but hopefully mostly bringing smiles. Um, so if you're thinking of doing Jurassic Park, sorry, it's taken. Unless you want to collaborate, we can do that. Um, but I'm excited for it. It's going to be a great time. Uh, this is a, a rare time of year where it's okay to, like, go up to neighbors' houses. Um, you know, it's, it's this time of year where we have an opportunity to meet people that we otherwise wouldn't. So we thought, what better time of year than to, to do a, a Love Your Neighbor series than now? And we're excited for Trunk or Treat because this is an opportunity for our church to meet all kinds of people that we wouldn't have otherwise. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen the Facebook event or anything like that. There's some replies on that already, some um, yeses, some interests already. And then Sarah created an Eventbrite, and we already have 200 registrations, guys. So it's three weeks out. So um, we're really excited to just get to meet some people to provide an opportunity for them to have fun with their families and love and serve our city in that way. So encourage you guys to uh, make it out to it. I know we have a lot of signups already, so that's awesome. Uh, and really thankful that you guys are getting on board with that. Um, so this month's series, like I said, it's simply titled Love Your Neighbor. And today I'm going to be sharing a message titled The Greatest Command. Uh, in Matthew 22:36, it says, uh, or we see this, this Pharisee, or lawyer, uh, master of the law, he asked Jesus this, teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? In other words, out of all the hundreds of commandments in the Old Testament, 
tell us which is the most important. And Jesus, he replies and says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Jesus then goes on to give the lawyer an even more insight. He says, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. So we see that from the, this verse that loving our neighbors is, is like loving God. We're spending a whole month diving into this topic surrounding loving our neighbors because we believe that the highest calling of God on our life is to love him with everything that we have and in similar fashion love people. Everything else hangs on these commands. Everything else hangs on the command of love. Whatever else there is in the Christian faith and our obedience to God, it all hangs on this. But even more amazing than this is what Paul says in Romans 13, 8 through 10. He says this, Owe nothing to anyone except for loving each other. For the one who loves one another is, has fulfilled the law. For the commands, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any of the other commands are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So the law, the Old Testament, what Jewish people followed in that day, and how they lived their lives to honor God, it set all these requirements up for people, telling them essentially what not to do. Um, there were, you know, ones in there that told them how to conduct their worship, um, but a lot of them were very restrictive. So Jesus, he comes, though, and he fulfills the law by focusing on what we do with all that is in us. He said, love God and love people. Where the law burdened people with those standards that they ultimately couldn't live up to, um, Jesus, he came, and he came to meet those standards. He came to live a perfect life and give us the freedom to focus on what truly matters, and that's loving people. So this morning, we're going to dive into that. Um, we're going to talk about a familiar, for a lot of people, a familiar parable. Um, but before we do, I want to go ahead and pray and just commit this morning to God. Lord, we thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you that you are a God who, Jesus, you came because of your love for us. You came to show us the way to live, God. You came to become our righteousness, that even though we screw up, even though we make mistakes, we can look to you and we can find forgiveness. We can look to your life and see that you are good, that you are for us, that you are for our neighbor, so this morning, I pray that you would just ingrain that in our hearts to love you with all, everything that we have and to love our neighbor. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So my hope this morning uh, is that we leave here today ready to take action. That we wouldn't just go through this parable and, and if maybe we've heard it before, just be like, yeah, this is familiar. But we'd actually, it would actually drive us to action. And we would begin to see people as God sees them. And through an illuminated, that illuminated perspective, that we would have the courage to be used by God to truly show people love. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible app, I'll also have it up here on the screen. Uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 10. And it starts in verse 25. So here again, 
we see that Jesus, he decides to focus on the love for God and love for others. It says, on one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what is written in the law? How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. So the Pharisee, though, he can't help himself to leave it at that, right? Like, this is a key trait, I feel like, of a Pharisee. They try to get their point across. They try to show their wisdom, their self-righteousness, how good they are. So he approaches Jesus with a question to test him. And he's trying to set up something that he wants to say, as if it would be, as if he would be the one who's teaching Jesus. <laughs> you know, like, that's a lot of times the attitude of the Pharisees. They come to Jesus like, oh, let's, let's show him who's, who's really the, the wise one here. Because he was coming and he was saying all these things that were just so contrary to what they tried to hold people up to. So he's asking this question to set him up, and, and uh, Jesus, like he did often, he flips the question back around on the Pharisees, because he knew the Pharisee wasn't coming to him with uh, this question to genuinely learn, but was coming to him with an ulterior motive. So it continues on in the passage, but he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So I want to take a minute to define who our neighbor is. Who am I supposed to love? You see, the Pharisee, this master of the law, he's asking, who is my neighbor? He's doing it likely to spout some teaching that love was only required to be extended to those who live up to the standards of the law. Those who know and uphold the law, those who are like him. I think that's easy for us to do a lot of times for us to uh, try and only love those who it's convenient for us to love, who come in agreement with our perspectives, our views. But I think it's so, it's so important to broaden that. So he's essentially getting ready to say, okay, I can love people within certain boundaries, but he's not asking with a pure heart. His desire is not actually to know who to love. He's approaching with pride, thinking that he knows the law and lives up to it because he loves those that are like him. And this is where Jesus comes in and shares this famous parable of the Good Samaritan to shatter the mindsets of the people who are listening, to cut to a realignment of their hearts, to really set them on the course that's God's way. And this is where Jesus shows us what selfless love looks like and how it's extended from God through those who love God and to all people. It's where Jesus essentially leaves his audience speechless and pondering their motives for love. So my hope is that for us today, that through this parable, we're able to grasp this principle, that selfless love always acts when presented opportunities to serve others and to lift them up. So, Jesus, in verse 30, um, he starts this parable, and he, he says in reply to this question of who is my neighbor, he says this. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho 
when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. So I want to stop there, and we'll continue on in the parable. But the first thing that this parable teaches us and that we see in it is that selfless love sees people as God sees them, and it spurs us to compassion. So parables, like we went through a whole series, you guys, if you weren't here, um, encourage you to go back and check it out on either Facebook or our podcast. We went through a whole series of parables, and I don't know if you guys remember, but uh, Josh shared a lot about how parables take the familiar. Um, so this was something that was familiar to his audience, and Jesus takes the familiar to engage with his audience and give them new insight and new understanding. So it's no different here. He starts off with a familiar experience of people, a familiar journey of a Jewish man going from Jerusalem to Jericho. So this path, this route would have been really dangerous. It was uh, literally like a, an actual journey down um, where it was steep, there was winding roads, and who knows around the bend who could have been there. Um, thieves waiting to, to attack people. So people would have been very familiar, and this would have been a very realistic scenario for them to see maybe a man beaten on the side of the road. I know it's not common for us. Um, we do live in a city, so maybe, maybe you have. Um, but, you know, it's not as common for us. But for them, it was common. It was something that they, they might have been familiar with um, and, or at least knew the dangers of. So his audience... Uh, knows these dangers, and it's in this familiar setting that Jesus presents us with a fourth character. So the first character is the man, uh, he, he presents us with four characters. The first character is the man who's robbed and brutally beaten, left for dead on the side of the road. So then we encounter two more characters. There's a priest and a Levite. So up comes a priest. Here's this man who his life is dedicated, right, to helping people worship God. Like he instructs them and, and guides them how to worship God when they come into the temple. And his life is dedicated to that, to helping people. And then there's the Levite who would have essentially been his assistant. So that helps us give, give us an idea at least why the Levite kept on passing by because he probably would have seen, you know, the priest was ahead of me. Um, he's my boss, you know, like, I don't have to help this guy. He didn't, so there's a reason he didn't. But why doesn't the priest stop? There could have been a number of reasons. First one, possibly, is that there was no way for him to identify uh, the rod man as a friend or an enemy. So my first thing I want to look at with that is that our love must overcome our assumptions, when we don't know people, it's easy to quickly make assumptions as to why people are the way that they are. Loving our neighbor, it can simply mean moving past judgment and getting to know someone's story, not just seeing their, their hurt or their, their, um, their, the things that, that aren't so pretty on them, the things that maybe they struggle with, but seeing them as a person who has struggles, who um, God loves and for me, this was kind of like, even as I was working on this yesterday in a cafe, 
this was something that God kind of like tested me on a little bit. Um, I was just sitting there working on my sermon, and this guy came in, sat next to me. He's a young, a little bit younger than me, a younger guy, um, and he eventually just like asked me. Um, he's like, "Oh, you go to Christian school?" Because he saw I was working on something. Guess, guess he didn't understand privacy, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> but it's good. It's cool because like I was actually. You know, thinking about this as I was thinking, preparing for this sermon, I was like, God, I, I would love opportunities, more opportunities to really show people love. So um, there God was like, hey, here's one. Um, and he was, I was like, no, I, I'm actually, you know, a part-time pastor. Uh, he's like, oh, cool, cool. I like going to church. Um, he's like, sometimes I like just being outside of it. I'm like, okay, cool. Um, but I was like, and, and then I my main work, what I do to really make a living is I'm a graphic designer. And he's like, oh, really? I'm a graphic designer. And I was like, oh, cool. You do it for a hobby or like you trying to get there? Like you actually making a living? And it was cool because like, you know, he was, he's kind of trying to start out on it. He's trying to kind of trying to start get, get a career started in graphic design. So um, I didn't go to school for it. I'm self-taught. He didn't, he said he's like taking a few classes, but it was really cool because just in that moment, God tested me because he came in, when he came in, he smelled like cigarettes. He literally was going out every minute to like smoke a cigarette. And I was like, ah, I got to sit next to this guy that smells like cigarettes. No offense if you smoke cigarettes. <laughs> um, I just don't like the smell. I know some people actually love it. But anyways, <laughs> um, so immediately I was like kind of had to check my heart. I'm making assumptions. I shouldn't make assumptions. And then he came in and said that. And he was like, want to be friends? <laughs> and we exchanged numbers. And... I was able to share with him beyond that a testimony of um, how God just really provided for me um, and share with him the testimony of how in obedience to what I feel like God's calling me to, he's really opened doors for me when it comes to graphic design, even though I didn't have a, a degree in it or anything like that. And, and it was really cool because by the end of it, after we kind of sitting there working together when he left, he's like, I'm really glad I met you. And now I have his number. So now I'm like, oh, I have his number, so that means I'm responsible for, like, following up in some way at some point. Um, but anyways, love has to get over the assumptions and judgments, move past judgments, and get to know someone's story. Often behind what we perceive as the ugly in a person is a history of hurt. And the next reason, possibly, that this priest didn't stop was that the priest might have been avoiding helping the man because of his fear of the risk. The priest didn't know where the robbers were. They could have been right around the corner or hiding behind a bush or something, ready to jump on him. Um, who knows? You know, he was looking out for himself. He had a fear of risk. For us, maybe it's not a fear of safety, but it could be as simple as a fear of rejection that keeps us from loving others. Think about, you could probably think of a time where you felt like compelled to do something good for someone and, or speak something to someone and, and all of a sudden this doubt or fear rises up in you. Um, so that could have been another reason. A third reason could have been that he, uh, he was on his way to the temple and so it would have been an inconvenience for him. If he had touched the bloody man, he would have become unclean he would have become unfit to enter the temple for worship. He would have had to go all the way back to his home, up the hill. Remember, it was down. 
So not only would he have to go back, he would have to gone up um, and then gone back on his journey after he cleaned himself up at home. So what all these possible reasons have in common is that they're focused on self. The priest and the Levite were blinded by their own interests. They valued their convenience above saving a life. Jesus uses these two characters in order to draw the crowd's attention to the sinfulness of their own inaction. You see, we can go through life with lots of good intentions. But if we live with a hesitancy to act, if that's our, and a lot of times that's just our natural mode to have a hesitancy, we'll never be using by God in ways that he desires to use us. It's just something, this isn't, you know, something that I think is in this story. I think it's something that, I, it's definitely something that I know I struggle with and that a lot of Christians struggle with. But we need to become a church full of people who act upon the good that we know we ought to do or that we know we're able to do. If we step out in faith, if we lay down any trace of selfishness, and if we simply trust in God as he leads us, it's amazing what he can do. We just have to be willing. We just have to be open. And Jesus, this is why he leaves when he's, his disciples are all distraught about him, saying he's going to be going. He says, I'm going to give you something even greater. I'm going to give you the Spirit. The Spirit will guide you. The Holy Spirit will be me living in you and guiding you and showing you the way. So the most important posture for being a witness is the posture of deep listening, listening to God and listening to the lives of others and being willing to be obedient when the Holy Spirit prompts us. I know a lot of times it's uncomfortable to, to reach out to someone or, um, you know, there can even be you might even think, well, I'm, my personality is not like quite that. Um, I myself am an introvert. Sarah is very introverted. In case you didn't know that, that's probably because she is very introverted. Um, but like even with her and her life, she uses, you know, her walk with God. A lot of times it looks like, this looks like something as simple as God speaking to her to, to pay for someone at the grocery store to pay for something of theirs. And it's important to just rise above that, to, to really be obedient to whatever you feel God's leading you to do, whatever good you feel like he's leading you to do, no matter how uncomfortable it might be, um, just to trust God and to really just lay down any, anything inside of you, whether it's fear or anything like that. There was even one time where I was with her, so she was like nudging me, like, hey, make sure you pay for <laughs> this woman in front of us. Is this old woman, and we paid for her, and then a few minutes later, next thing you know, we're in some old lady's apartment and I'm eating sauerkraut. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what that was about. Like, <laughs> but we spent some time with her and her daughter showed up too. And it was like, it was really cool. It was interesting. I'm like, God, you, you had some plan in this. I don't know. But um, it's just being willing to get outside of our comfort zone sometimes. And I think when we do that, we will find that we're truly living, that we're truly experiencing life, that we're truly experiencing life as God would want us to, that we're finding so much joy in it to be used by God. God knows everything. He's, he's all-knowing. And if we just trust him when he nudges us, when he pushes us to do a certain thing, and even beyond that, just you know, our own conscience we have, that he's put in us to do good, um, that when we do that, he's going to honor it. 
So while we're presented with inaction of these first two characters, Jesus goes on to contrast them with the action of a fourth character in the story. He shocks his audience. He brings into the story a Samaritan. So he often, Jesus often, he, he brought a certain shock factor to his audiences whenever he shared a parable. And in order to understand why this is one of those times, you'll need to understand the relationship between Samaritans and Jews. Samaritans and Jews had a long history of animosity, of hostility, where Jews shut out and oppressed Samaritans because they were seen as an impure mixed race. They mixed with other people that weren't Jews. So for Jesus to bring a Samaritan into the story as the hero would have absolutely blown their minds, probably maybe even upset some people, angered some people. In Jesus' story, the Samaritan looks past the long history of hurts and cultural differences to see the man on the side of the road as deserving of love because he was a person who God loved. As simple as that. Our love must declare the value of human life. So in regards to uh, the role of love in Jesus' ministry, author uh, Sean Bowles, he's also started a church in Glendale, um, writes in his book, Translating God, he writes this. Jesus wasn't just called, wasn't just a, a football coach who some people potential, saw people's potential. Sorry, I'm, it's up there. Can you read that? You can't really read that. All right. um, it says, Jesus wasn't just a football coach who, some people's potential, who saw some people's potential and was trying to upgrade them with his coaching ability. He saw them through a developed lens of love, the Father's point of view. He saw them as though they were restored to their original design, God's original intention, as though they had already fully said yes to his invitation of walking with him, even though they were not yet capable. He didn't treat them as he hoped they would be one day. He treated them as if they were already restored. Jesus treated people with a worthiness they didn't deserve, an unusual honor bestowed on man. Once you really begin to understand the Gospels, you will understand how much Jesus relied on, the friendship, on his friendship with heaven and, uh, and his Father's revelation of love about each person. So our love must declare the value of human life, that each person is created by God and loved by God. All people are made in the image of God, and Jesus counted every one, every single person that has lived, that will ever live, worthy of love when he died for them. So selfless, selfless love sees people as God sees them, and it's that that spurs compassion. But compassion has to be more than a feeling. It has to inspire action. So let's keep reading uh, in verse 34 and 35. We'll see what the action that the Samaritan takes is. In verse 34, it says, He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put on the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. So the next, par the next principle that we see in this parable is that loving our neighbor means using what we have to bring life to others. So the Samaritan, he was equipped. He was probably had these things just uh, to 
carry these things for his own preparation should he ever need them. But he chooses to use what he's equipped with to bring life to the man, to bring healing to him. So my question for you then is, what do you have that you're keeping for yourself that God wants you to use to bring life to other people? What gifts maybe aren't you utilizing? What resources are you keeping in your pocket? Whether it's financial or even something as simple as a wisdom on a certain uh, area of life that you might be able to help others with and, and share with others. We're called to partner with God in what we have to bring life to other people. And then in verse 35... And just one more note on that. You know, in case you haven't heard this, God has gifted each and every one of us. We all have gifts. We all have significance. We all have purpose. And I just wanted to hit on that because I know a lot of times it can be easy to look at ourselves and think, well, I'm not, I'm not worthy of anything. I'm not, I'm not, I have nothing to offer. But when you submit your life to God, when you truly pursue God, he begin, he'll begin to show you those things in your life that he wants to use. And so I just encourage you, if, if that's how you're feeling, you can talk to me, you can talk to Josh. Um, or if you know that there's gifts in your life that you want to see God use, um, and you just need someone to talk with, to brainstorm that, to uh, bounce ideas off of, I'm available for that too. Josh is too. Uh, so then, so Jesus wraps up the parable in verse 35. He says, the next day he took out two denarii, And he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for the extra expense you may have. So it's here in that last verse of the parable that we learn loving our neighbor means setting up others for success. So this man, he was robbed, right? He had nothing left to give. Uh, When he would have become well, the innkeeper very well could have came to him and said, okay, you owe me. So you're my slave. It was the law at that time where that would have been appropriate. That would have been acceptable that he owed him a debt. He worked, he, the innkeeper took care of him when he was half dead and took care of him to the point where he was well again, that he could have took him as a slave. So the Samaritan, what he does is he decides to cover that cost of any care that might be provided And so, in doing so, the Samaritan removes the risk of slavery from the victim, and he sees to it that he will be free. For him, this man wasn't just a a one-off quick project. The Samaritan ties himself relationally to the man, because he says he'll cover any expenses beyond that denarii just to let him know whatever it is. So, in doing so, he's tying himself relationally to that man. He's continuing that relationship. So this man, he wasn't a one-off project. He's, he's really, the Samaritan's really in it for his good. So when it comes to loving our neighbors, are we truly investing in their future? And I'm not just talking about money here. I know we've been going through a money series and talked about radical generosity, and we truly believe in that. But it could mean a number of different things for our relationships in our lives. It can mean becoming someone that other people trust, someone that they can lean on for uh, advice, comfort, or someone maybe that they know they can go to for prayer. 
Are we seeking ways to ensure that people live in freedom and setting them up for success? It's what selfless love looks like. It's what selfless love does. So God's greatest desire is for people to find freedom in Christ. Freedom from their sin that enslaves them and for their lives to truly flourish as they find love and purpose in him. So in closing this passage, it wraps up by Jesus asking the Pharisee after he shares this parable, after everyone's probably like, what the heck just, what did we just learn? Um, He says, which of these do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him, Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So here we are at the end of this parable, along with the lawyer, probably trying to figure out whom we're supposed to love, who's our neighbor. Because you go into it, and a lot of times when this is shared, it's like, well, the man beaten on the side of the road was the neighbor. That's who we're supposed to love. It, it's, it's anyone. It's even though there was these cultural differences. And yet, yes, that's, well, yes, that's true. He says, who was more of a neighbor here? And he was com- contrasting those three characters, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan. And the lawyer, he responds and says, the one who shows mercy. So Jesus, he turns the question around. He says, look at this man who acts in mercy. Stop asking who is your neighbor. There are deeper questions to ponder. John Piper explains it this way. When we are done trying to establish, is this my neighbor? The decisive issue of love remains. What kind of person am I? So Jesus, he flips the question back around on this teacher of the law who was getting ready to share what he probably thought was absolutely right out of his own pride, out of his own selfishness, probably of, I love those who follow the law, who are like me, who are living within these boundaries and honoring them, to say, well, what about you? What about your heart? Where's your heart truly at? And so for us, I think when it comes to loving our neighbors and loving, loving God and loving our neighbors and that being the greatest and highest command, we have to look at where is our heart at. And it, all those things that I mentioned fall into that. If it's a fear, if it's um, assumptions or judgments that we might have towards people, whatever it might be that I mentioned, they all can fall into that. Where is your heart? Who are you? How are you loving So let's not get caught up with the question about who we're supposed to help or when or where or how, and let's take action. We can't love the way that Jesus is telling us to love on our own, though. We're too selfish. We're too prideful. We're we're too insecure. We're too fearful. So why would Jesus even ask us of this then? He asked it of us because the life of a follower of Jesus has to be one of dependence on God. Selfless love must depend on God and flow out of our love for God. Because when we're loving God, when we're pursuing God, when we're abiding in God and really honoring that greatest command, out of that is going to flow love for other people. Because in that, we find true joy. We find true purpose. We find true meaning. We're seen as God sees us. And we see other people as God sees them. 
So everything hangs on that. When we love God with everything we have, we will find true joy and that there will be overflow of that. And it'll lead us to take action. It'll lead us to compassion and action. So we can only do this when we're going to the source of abundant, unconditional love and being filled. So we have to ask God to help us change the way that we think, change the way we approach our neighbors, whether it's physical neighbor, work neighbors, social spheres, our families, or complete strangers. This time, Jackie, if you can come up, we're going to get ready to close, and Annie and Saint, come up for prayer. There has to be a shift of the common mindset of what can I get from this person to bring me where I want to be, what can they help, how can they help me? What can they do for me? To, to this new perspective, this new outlook of how can I show this person love and help them get to where God wants them to be. And in the process of doing that, we're fulfilling God's will for our life. It's as simple as that. So my challenge to you this week is to commit to take action. Pray for God to put someone in your path or put someone on your heart who maybe is not even in your life yet. You know, for us, like I said, we not walk these dead people, half dead people on the side of the road. Um, but there's people in our life, there's those neighbors close to us, our family, our friends, people we work with, people physically who live next door to us then there might also be the neighbors who are strangers, who we've never met before, but God wants to intersect our paths. God wants to divinely ordain for us to meet people and to be used by him in their lives. No matter who it is, no matter what they look like, where they are, no matter what they smell like, God wants us to seek a ways to love them, to show them his love. So my challenge this week is to pray about that and to take action, to really actually, by the end of this week, in some way, some form, love them. It could be something super simple, but show love of God. It could be simple as paying for someone's coffee. It could be as simple as just a, a kind deed, a kind act, or it could be something as awesome as God telling you to do something for someone or leading you to say something to someone or telling you or, or that this person might not be having a great day and you going up to them saying, listen, I know that you're going through something and I'm, I just want to know that you know that it's going to be okay. People are hurting all around us. We live in a city. There's so many people. You feel it. You can feel it sometimes. There's joy out there, but there's a lot of hurt out there. So let's be people who love our neighbor. And then after that week is up, keep practicing it. Keep doing it. Don't stop. And just look back a few weeks later where your life is at. And this is for me too. I'm not, I'm not anywhere near perfect at this. I need to do this. 